Kieran. I'm Hannah. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Hannah. Hi, Kieran. How are you holding up? I haven't murdered anyone yet. I'm impressed. Good job. Me too. Points. Very many points for not murdering people. I mean, I've been, like, actively avoiding men this week. So, like, That's that also good. Makes a difference. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. How are you? I'm You're alive. All right. I'm alive. I also haven't murdered anybody. I skipped school on Thursday because I was like, I can't mm-hmm. deal with, with people today, right now. No. Um. But, you know, no murders. No murders have happened. I've wanted to murder, but I haven't, haven't you know, right. done anything. So I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is progress. Like, honestly, I don't think the dudes have any idea how angry we all are. No. And what, like, what, what gets to me is something that I've seen a lot of people saying on the Internet. But, like, where are the cis dudes? None of my cis dude friends have, like reached out or, or, or like said much beyond, oh my God, this is horrible, which like it is horrible, but my dudes. Are you like trying are to, you? to empathize with you? Is that like, why, why are you telling us that this is horrible? We know. Right. Like there's, it's disappointing. Um, it's disappointing and it's not surprising. So I had two of my, well, I had one cis dude friend check in on me. And I had one like gender nonconforming assigned male birth friend check in on me. And then I had a third who's um, assigned female birth trans man who he checked in on me. So I've had some dudes check in checking in on me, which has been good. Um, But it's also like the like cis dude that checked in on me. He's like somebody I've like educated <laughs> this whole right. time i'm like i made my friend yes. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i did this work you knew thank the you yeah. you knew the rules because you want to stay in my life good job good yeah. job um it's just not something that happens organically yeah yeah like all of the all of the mask types i've seen talking about it and being compassionate and empathetic about it have either been queer or trans, but are definitely mm-hmm. not straight, and cis is extremely questionable. Right. <laughs> so, um, given given this week with what's his fucking face, Kavanaugh, the bro asshole, and um, Dr. Ford's testimony, I think that swearing this week is going to be a major part of this episode, and if you have a problem with that, you can bail, and um, you're lost, because it's going to be a great conversation. <laughs> If you have a problem with swearing at this point, please know. Uh, Go deal yeah. with that and come back. I mean, you, usually we try to make this um, pretty open and accessible to everybody um, because it's a, it's a broad topic that a lot of people are interested in. But this time, we got a little anger to get out, so just... There are times I don't when <laughs> anger and swearing is necessary and good and healing, and this is definitely that time. But we have someone with us today to help talk yeah. about this and join us in the swearing. So, um, what are we talking about today, Karen? Uh, purity culture and and rape culture and all of this bullshit that is happening. And how right purity now. culture is rape culture? Is that yeah? Right? How they are? That's exactly not too strong the of a statement thing. to make. I don't think. No, no, they are the okay. same thing. One all is right. just palated better. All right, so dear listeners. Um, I know these are bold statements to make, but we're going to back it up. And let's welcome our guest, Jamie Lee Finch. It was so hard for me to not just start swearing already while you guys were talking about the value <laughs> of swearing. Oh, I was like, our rage swearing is, is important. My, <laughs> swearing is my favorite post-evangelical activity. It's Mine also one of those too. things where I, like, it's, <clears throat> I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. When people choose to be more offended by the swearing than the behavior that we're swearing about. Right. Because that's the whole reason why we have to fucking swear. So I just, and that's, I, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's upsetting. 
It's upsetting. So be upset about what we're upset by, not about the fact that we are upset. So. Yeah. So, um, Jamie, why don't you take a second and introduce yourself to our listeners um, if they haven't seen your work before or haven't run into you online before and you're, you're beautiful, angry rants on Twitter. <laughs> All my swearing. Um, yes. Hi, I'm Jamie Lee Finch. Um, every single time I have to introduce myself and explain what I do, I have to try and figure out how I'm going to explain today what it is that I do. Um, but, uh, specifically I am a coach, um, as well as a couple other things. Um, I'm a poet, a sex, witch, which is a fun thing to confuse <laughs> the right people, terrify the right people and draw the right people in. Um, and, uh, but, but as far as being a coach goes, um, uh, coach healer, the, the main area that I do work in, uh, specifically is in helping people to recover from, um, the trauma of fundamentalist religion, generally specifically evangelical Christianity. Um, and for a lot of those people, the primary, um, issue or experience that they're having in their body relates to their relationship towards their sexuality and how that was cut off from them because of purity culture, rape culture, uh, virginity culture, just the religious and cultural sexual suppression that occurs in general. Um, so kind of holding that space for reorienting people back to their bodies and doing it within a framework of um, kind of reframing the experience and reality of embodiment and as it relates to overall wellness, but reframing that um, through the language of relationship. Um, so you kind of being in a relationship with your body. So the two things you'll notice if you follow me on any social media outlet is that I definitely swear a lot. Um, and also that I will consistently refer to my body with a gendered pronoun as opposed to an it, um, because of that kind of reframing of the language of relationship. So, mm -hmm. and, and do you have a, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does make a lot of sense. I was going to ask, do you have, um, a background in therapy are you professionally trained? I'm a coach. Um, so I'm currently, because I gave about. 10 years of my life to Christian ministry. I'm just mm -hmm. now finally finishing up my undergraduate degree and I'm 30 years old, but I feel, I feel good about it because I mean, what I thought I wanted it's to okay. do first was study fashion design or some shit. So, um, you're in a great company here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I do have a, a certification as a coach. Um, it was a year long certification and Currently, right now, um, in finishing up my undergrad, I'm going to try and decide what to do after that point because I really love being a coach. I would love to be a therapist, though. I feel like there's so much more that you can do. Um, but I am, to put it really bluntly, I'm terrified of getting more debt than I already have. Um, so that's a whole thing. You Welcome have to, to being a millennial. Yeah, yeah, so I really don't know. Like, it's hard to, I'm really grateful that I get to kind of hold space for and perform a service that is helpful. And a lot of people work with me in tandem with working with a therapist. And then there's a lot of people too, with, um, after working with me, then they go on to work with maybe like a trauma therapist. Um, mm -hmm. I really see what I do as kind of entry level 101. Let's just get you on the same page as your body. And then your body's going to take it from there and tell you what it is that you need further. And for a lot of people, what they need further is people who can, who can do the things that I can't do. Um, so I used to work with people in six month programs. I've shifted it down to four now, um, for that reason of like, this is entry level stuff. Um, I want to get you to be able to hear your body and know that that's allowed and that's possible and that's good. And mm -hmm. then people who have, um, for the most part, a lot of what I notice that people tend to need next is, is some pretty, pretty good, solid, stable trauma therapy. Like I needed to. So, yeah. So where did you, how did yep. you get started on, on doing all this? Um, so it's interesting. I was reading over back over some papers before we decided to talk today. Um, I started out as, um, an integrated health coach. Um, so I was doing kind of like, um, integrative and holistic nutrition, wellness, that kind of stuff. And I was, I got that certification and I was just doing it pretty part-time, um, very, very part-time, like one, maybe two clients at a time while having other jobs. Um, and I started to notice something. Um, I wasn't only working with women and like female identified persons because I had a, I had that like, you know, structure in myself. They were just the only ones asking. Um, mm -hmm. and so what, what I started to notice, what was happening is I was noticing this link between, um, women who had the same experience that I did coming up inside of purity culture. Those were just the people that I was in contact with and in, had previously been inside of, um, communal environments with. I noticed the link between 
them being raised with the same kind of sexual ethic that I was, which is kind of lack of one. Um, and then also the same conditions, the manifestations of physical conditions and, and imbalances and diseases in their body that I'd had. Um, predominantly autoimmune and intense like digestive issues. So I started yeah. to notice this thread between autoimmune disease and sexual suppression within the bodies of women. And so I was like, this is really curious. And so I was like Googling shit and no one had really studied that too much. And so long story short, I decided to go back to school to kind of start studying that and also to get mm -hmm. finished my degree. Um, and I enrolled in a school called Goddard College, which is an amazing, amazing institution um, where you can kind of design, I mean, not entirely, but it's self-directed. Um, the mm -hmm. people who are on staff there are kind of equal parts academic as they are um, activists, which is awesome. Um, so I was given a little bit of, uh, a lot of accountability, but a lot of freedom to study what I was there to study. So I just, for the first year and a half I was there, I just kind of consistently researched that and wrote papers on that, um, put my coaching work on pause for a bit, and then jumped back in last summer um, predominantly from just being interviewed on podcasts about it. Um, and then people hearing what I was talking about and hearing that link and realizing, oh my God, that's my experience too. Um, and so now at this point, I don't just work with, um, women. Um, and that's even, you know, I know we're going to get to a conversation about like consent, um, from purity culture. And it's been mm -hmm. really interesting working with men too. And like, hearing from them, my suspicions confirmed that like, y'all didn't hear anything about consent. We certainly didn't hear anything about consent. It's really terrifying anyway. So, no, yeah. so yeah, it kind of happened that way. So let's, um, let's, uh, establish a de working definition of purity culture before we go any further. Um, Kieran, you've thought a lot about this. Why don't you take a stab at it? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> God, <laughs> fuck. Uh, yeah. What is purity culture? Fuck. fuck. That's it. Basically, basically, fuck. Um, yeah, so it's it's basically the way that I absorbed it was very sort of a la Josh Harris and I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which is Gothardism and all that. We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, you can't you can't think any impure thoughts. You can't like allow yourself to like be attracted to people. Um, so I didn't have crushes. I shut that down when I was like 10. I just like did not also I was queer but I didn't know it so like both of those things I was like I don't right. dudes aren't dudes are boring what um yeah I know yeah. I remember like all my friends being like super obsessed with like guys and I was like well you know if I really thought about it I might be interested in this one because he's like really smart but I don't actually know him at all and like I'll just like pick that as my crush <laughs> so that like I have something to go off of <laughs> right. so it's like yeah, yeah hello like, I'm queer <laughs> All of this makes so much more sense now, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, obviously it's because I was queer. And like, I have so many clients who are like, suck. I, in retrospect, I had crushes on all of these people and didn't know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yep. Yeah. No, having to realize like what a crush was was like a big mm. like post purity culture process for me. Mm -hmm. It's like, so, oh, these are what these feelings are. This is how this works. Well, and oh. also um, the thing that I realized at a certain point only just a couple of years ago was that the main thing that navigated me, um, was, uh, I was my deepest fear, which was rooted in this idea that the way to succeed was to be totally and utterly unsexual until the moment you got married and then it can all turn right on. Um, right. so a Zero lot of 16. people ended up finding themselves, um, interestingly, strangely being drawn to people that they literally weren't attracted to. And my deepest mm -hmm. fear, and it was a fear that I didn't really acknowledge because I thought that it was what was going to happen because it was what's supposed to happen is that God was going to force me to marry someone that I didn't even like and wasn't attracted and to. And you know, that's not uncommon. Yeah. I've heard that story yeah. so many yeah. times and I've yeah. heard of people who have done that <clears throat> yes. so many times. Right. Yep. Um, I was also worried that would happen. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So purity culture is like this mindset of like your sexuality is like only something that is, is like is a base it's a base impulse it is animal it is only f good for reproduction mm -hmm. and so therefore it needs to be contained within marriage um and be used for those purposes it, it like if it gives you pleasure within marriage that's like a side perk that's mm -hmm. not the point that's generally the point. just and, for men too they don't really care if it right. gives women yeah pleasure. women don't have orgasms <laughs> right right well, <laughs> with those men, we certainly don't. No. <laughs> right, right. 
So, um, and so then it comes down to like this idea and I recommend our our listeners go read Jessica Valenti's The Purity Myth. I think it's a really good primer on all of this. Um, and she talks about, and this is really eye opening for me, like the concept of purity and the concept of virginity, like virginity is a medical myth. It doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. Like, and if you need receipts on that. Um, I know Lacey Green is super problematic now um, she, since she got red-pilled, but her little video on, like, how a hymen mm-hmm. works is really informative on this. It's a very I good... changed my life. Yeah, that was a really good moment. So, um, but the purity myth talks about how when humans stopped being nomadic and they started living in cities and land started passing from father to son, in order to ensure, like, a lineage-based inheritance system, they had to ensure that the sons were actually theirs. And the only way to ensure that the Mm -hmm. sons were actually theirs were to make the women only have sex with the men who owned the land. And so virginity was a way of establishing inheritance and keeping property in the family. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't exist outside of that myth. So, like, the idea of, like you know, you you become used goods. Like, that was about, like, making sure that, like, a bastard didn't get the house. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. um, so this concept has existed as long as, like, humans have been lit- living in cities and been practicing capitalist principles. And so purity culture, when it comes into the church, is is just it echoes this mm-hmm. and and it's really something that like doesn't need to exist and because it has existed for so long and because judeo-christian beliefs are coming out of that culture and that time and the historical problems of that time are like transposed onto the church today mm-hmm. we're operating with like these super primitive assumptions about how bodies and um, people work mm-hmm. rather than actually looking at how how do they function yep. what is actually happening ra- rather than like this is just the way it's always been yeah done. and this too um something i was thinking about this morning <clears throat> is a big reason why you see this kind of um <clears throat> moral panic within um like religious communities or evangelical community and therefore like the kind of religious right uh political community um this moral panic over preserving the nuclear family because anything right. that isn't that nuclear family is steps outside of that commodity model of like the women are owned as property. Um, so that's why they're having a hard time with 2018. <laughs> right. And when you look at societies that are that are collectivist rather than individualist, you see like the family unit is is preserved in importance, but it becomes like the like part of a web in a community. And so the community's survival and the community's priorities mm-hmm like go go first so rather than the individuals and so what we've got is this like this moral panic around the, the nuclear family as constructed within an individualist mm-hmm. culture um so it's very very specific to like our intersection of like time and place and like the ethics system based off of this like historically out of date mm. religion yep um and then and then this gets into like what we were talking about with Kieran's hysterectomy like how like the uterus was what made us valuable Mm -hmm. and like our ability to reproduce was like why we were like treasured or protected or whatever um like the very like existence of having a uterus and being able to procreate for someone else means that you're rapable Mm -hmm. and so that's Mm -hmm. why that's why chivalry exists because that's that's your vulnerability yeah yeah what were your experiences with purity culture, guys? Where do we come from? Why do we talk about this? Why do we care? Why do we care? Why are, as you said, why are we authorities on this? Why are we experts on yeah. this? Um, well, personally, for me, one of the things that I write about a lot um, and connect with uh, my client work a lot is the way that it caused me to um, internalize this sense of like not only like fear of, but actual hatred for my own physical body. Um, Mm-hmm. Because what's particularly problematic about the language of purity culture, um, which is steeped in just the language of like the evangelical um, belief in sin nature at all, um, <clears throat> is this idea that like your flesh is bad and your body is evil because of the things that your body draws you or like kind of tempts you to do. And so there's this like separation from 
It's a Cartesian divide. That's mm-hmm. a that. Ooh, ooh, girl, look at you, <laughs> Descart- just right like in there. this. Um, the Love mind it. and the mind Love and it. the separating yes. the mind and body, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. and this is where and this is where you get Gnosticism in the yes. church happening yeah. um, and being recreated in the evangelical mm-hmm. culture because we don't have a theology of the body in evangelicalism, yeah. and so we're it's really easy for us to just distance yeah. ourselves from the bodies and like live in the mind in the mind, and then also uh, within evangelicalism, that specific language of the spirit is good, like the spirit is good. So this idea of like. And that's, that's a big way in which they can control you as well, because they can classify certain mm-hmm. actions and behaviors as like sinful and certain actions and behaviors, not even actions and behaviors alone, thoughts even, which is real scary. So they'll tell you like you're sinful or you're bad or you're being controlled by your body if you're even thinking certain things. Um, so yeah. that causes this deep, um, deep panic, deep fear, deep, um, and for a lot of people manifest as hatred for their, even their own physical body. And there, there are consequences to that um, there are then further psychological and physiological consequences to that, um, through that, like kind of the ethic and belief of mind body medicine and the way that that's going to, uh, like internalizing that kind of level of chronic stress yeah. is going to manifest in your body. And I want to, I want to pause on that before we get to the ramifications. Let me talk about like the reasons why, and sorry for this dog barking in the background. I can't really control it. <laughs> there's three of them back there. Um, there's, there's this this reason for why that's effective. Like, so once you start distrusting your body mm-hmm. and distrusting your senses, um, you are more inclined to believe the authorities that are telling yeah. you to distrust this yeah. body. And it's a really useful control tactic to keep you from um, trusting your gut or questioning what you're told. And it's a really easy way for the like the patriarchy to reinforce men are rational. Mm-hmm. Women are not, and this binary of like women are emotional. You have to trust men. You have to like, and it plays into the headship teachings that we were talking about last time. Um, so like, what what do you have like when you have these feelings? Like, oh, I'm just being an emotional woman. I'm gonna like trust the man to do this. It's a it's a super useful <laughs> crowd control tactic yep. to like keep people. Um, Rep- not just repressed, but actively gaslighting themselves, themselves and keeping themselves It makes us complicit suppressed. in our own oppression. Mm-hmm. It yep. does. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, why is purity culture rape culture? And I think that'll tie into the ramifications of, on the body that we were mm-hmm. talking about before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to just answer every question. Karen, thoughts? Thoughts, Karen? Uh, yeah, so the way... The way it kind of panned out for me, and I'm going to tell a story here because that's sort of the way this makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Is when my mom yeah. was explaining how sex worked to me, I was 16, and she, she described it as, well, it was the first time I'd heard the words penis and vagina mm-hmm. in my life. I had no idea what she was talking about. And she was like, so when you, like, make a baby, the man puts his penis in the woman's vagina, and then, like, I don't remember how she described, like, orgasming and, and no, it was whatever. It's, he, he ejaculates it doesn't yeah. orgasms don't yeah. exist yeah. no 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 yeah and so she's like and then the sperm comes out and implants the egg and then like it feels really good for the dude um but the woman doesn't really feel anything oh my god and, and i was horrified yeah and so i realized like it was Shortly after that point that I started reading Scarletine and I learned about orgasms and I realized my mom had never had an orgasm. And then I also realized that my mom has probably never had consensual sex with my father. So that, that is how, (laughs) that is how that relates. And in purity culture, the more I have dug into this and the more I have dug into quiverful narratives and the more I've heard these stories about these these women who have submitted themselves to this culture because they believe that this is what God is calling them to do. The more I hear that, like, I don't, I think that many, many women in this system have been sexually assaulted and raped and haven't acknowledged it because one, they are taught not to trust their bodies or to trust their experiences or their senses. Two, marriage Rape and marriage doesn't exist in this right. rubric because your body belongs to your husband. And if you're not available and he leaves, that's your fault. So you have to be sexually available at all right. times. Yeah. Right. And we've talked about that before, too. Um, so there's all these layers of, like, I think I 
I'm going to tell a story that like sort of relates. Um, so I served in the Peace Corps in Kyrgyzstan, and I think I've talked about this before, where there's this documentary by Vice about um, bride kidnapping in Kyrgyzstan. Mm. Now, Vice is shit, and this documentary is not well done, but there's this great scene um, where all of these old women are talking to this young woman who's crying. She's sobbing, and she if she puts on the headscarf, she's officially agreed to the mm. marriage. Like, that's that's a sign of her consent. And she, she's fighting them putting the headscarf on her. She's been kidnapped, and she doesn't want to get married to this guy. And they all look at her, and they're like, what, do you think you're better than us? We were all kidnapped. Whoa. And it's that sense of, like, well, we had to experience this, so why do you think you should fight for anything better? Mm. Because it means that they would have to acknowledge that yeah. they were violated right. also. Yeah. And we have that happening with quiverful moms when we leave and we start talking about our experiences yeah. and how we were violated. It gets really, they get really defensive really easily because it's like, one, they were complicit in all of this. And two, they experienced these abuses and they don't want to name mm-hmm. them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think that that's something too, like, you see, what was it? I mean, I keep seeing different numbers floating around, but like, um, I think 53% of white women voted for Trump. Um, mm-hmm. They're somewhere around that same figure of like, um, white evangelicals just in general said that even if, you know, even if it came, you know, came out that all of the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh were true, they'd still vote for him. Like, it's stuff like that where it's like, there, there is a, you've divorced yourself within yourself from a part of yourself that has the ability to tell yourself the truth about what it is that you've experienced, which is why you have to continually gaslight other people's experience because it's so hard for you to face it within yourself. And we see this, like, we've seen this played out this week on national television in Dr. Ford's testimony. This is why she didn't come forward. She was gaslighting herself for all those years until it came up in therapy and she had to, they, like, push an issue about why she was claustrophobic and she had to double down about why and finally acknowledge, like, why she needed that second front yeah. door. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's that system of, like, gaslighting yourself until it becomes absolutely necessary to save your life or someone else's mm-hmm. life. And usually with these white women, like they're going to go for themselves because they have enough privilege that they don't need to um, defend anyone. It's not going to cost them anything to ignore the suffering. Um, So I'm really grateful to Dr. Ford for coming forward because she's someone who has enough privilege that she could have probably been not affected by Brett Kavanaugh being on the Supreme Court personally. Yeah. Yep. Um, So she was, she's using her privilege to protect people Mm. with less privilege. And that's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about this body stuff that you work with. Like, how <laughs> does this affect stuff. the body? This body yeah. stuff. Like, I don't have a body. I'm just an. I'm just. I'm just a brain. Just what are you talking brain. about? A spirit and enigma floating through the world inside of this capsule, and it's a disposable capsule, and it means nothing. Um, well, um, suddenly things make sense now, right? Let me just yeah. say this real fast, since this is like, like enneagram adjacent. I'm a five, and I've never, re- like, resonated with the Im- disembodied brain mm-hmm. thing. I'm, like, one of... I'm extremely disembodied brain. Yeah, I am an extremely, like, sensual, physical person. I really identify with all of the um, the Taurus stereotypes. <gasps> You're so, a Taurus, too? Hey, yeah. girl, what up? <laughs> yeah, so, like... Hello, <laughs> I want good food yeah. and I want yep. naps and comfort and good fabric and um and I love good sex. Yep. But like having good sex is really hard after purity mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> Just a smidge. Um uh Kieran, what's your Enneagram number? I don't know. know. I think I'm a nine or a two. Okay. But I don't remember which one is winging the other. Okay. Fair. I'm a Pisces though. Oh, interesting. So. Okay. Yeah, and they are they are very very Pisces. I'm extremely Pisces. I'm a hardcore Pisces. Hardcore Pisces. Which is hilarious. <laughs> okay. You're softcore funny. Pisces. I know, that's a funny like statement on its own. Just funny yeah. funny words grouped together there with that. Um, okay, so body stuff. Um, so so one of the things that um, to your point of um, Hannah, what you're saying about. Um, kind of negating our, our inner experience so that we then, and then when Karen said, like, we become, um, 
kind of we're actively contributing to our own oppression in doing so. Um, one of the things that I've, I've written about before and, and talk about is this like idea that when we're taught that our feelings, emotions and inner experiences are shameful um, and shame, honestly, within purity culture, shameful at best. Like a lot of times we're taught that those feelings, emotions and inner experiences don't even exist at all or they're not worth paying attention mm -hmm. to. So unfortunately, the only thing that really validates their existence is when we're like, oh, those exist and they're horrible. Don't have them. So. When we're taught that they're shameful, we learn to mistrust that inner guidance of our bodies and we're forced to be out of touch with what we know, how we feel. Um, we're trained out of our nature of fulfilling our desires and saying no to what we don't want and saying even saying yes to what we do want because we have no idea what it is that we actually fucking want in the first place. So there's this like, and, and, then, a, and then the whole like kind of how that links back to the body, um, what we're discovering within like trauma research these days is that unexpressed emotions tend to stay in the body. Like, um, as, uh, Christian Northrop says, as small ticking time bombs, um, they're like illnesses and incubation. So yeah, everybody should go read the body keeps the score. Yes. If you want to learn more about oh my this, God, cause so good. it's, it, it, it's not, that's not the only, um, book to read on that subject there's a whole lot and some of his findings van der kolk's findings are, are disputed but it's a really good introduction to how this works yeah definitely um and i i actually was talking with someone last night and like they're like where should i start like because i talk about this shit all the time and i was like at a show in nashville and they're like give me a book mm -hmm. recommendation where should i start and i i recommended that one and same thing where i was like there's other ones it's just he he distills so much information down into this really easily digestible format he's, he also kind of he kind of spearheaded this this avenue of investigation yes uh particularly with the adverse childhood experiences study mm -hmm. and then he's also been trying to pioneer to get uh, with a number of other folks um getting complex ptsd put into the dsm um and there's been a lot of resistance Ooh. there's been a lot of resistance because be you can't medicate it so you know yeah. it's not so easy um but yeah so all that idea like um i remember i remember seeing a, a quote once and i refer to it a lot um, a neuroscientist wrote something once that said, when you sweep an emotion under the rug, you sweep it into the nervous system. So there's this idea that like the uh, more that we are trained yeah. that the right way to be, the right way to live is not only to divorce ourselves from our feelings, our emotions, our inner experiences, but also where and how our sexuality and our sexual expression and our arousal and our desires and pleasure, how that's all married with that too. Um, the idea that the right way to be a human person is to live separate from that. There are physical consequences to that that directly affect your body. And not only, like I said, the way that you're able to kind of like feel what your body needs, what your body doesn't need and so on and so forth. But that chronic stress um, that is developed by way of consistently sweeping those things under the rug and back into your nervous system, that's going to have effects on um, your endocrine system, uh, your central nervous system, um, your immunological response. Um, a lot of chronic illness is related to the chronic stress state in your body. And the thing about chronic stress and well, trauma- like it, it, it kind of starts with adrenal fatigue and it just goes downhill from keeps there. Going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing about that, like the thing about like that chronic stress and, and um, uh, the development of like chronic illness in your body, like it's it's one of those things where you again unfortunately don't really have you don't really have a lot of people it it compounds on itself because you're experiencing that thing in your body and you're like you know something's wrong you know something's wrong but again you've been socialized to like not know that you know that something's wrong um right. and then you can't get any answers from allopathic medicine either because they're not using like a mind body medicine model in the uh for the most part and then they also there's such a lack of understanding about what complex ptsd chronic stress religious trauma the fact that it sh is a form of complex complex PTSD. A lot of people that I work with, they work with me in tandem with their therapist because their therapist knows nothing about the nuance of purity culture and religious sexual suppression and how that's interplaying and, and contributing to what they've experienced in their, in, in their bodies and how that's manifested in their mm -hmm. bodies. So there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of like tangible consequences to it, but, um, the good news is, is that, um, and you know, even in the body keeps the score, kind of the latter half of the book is talking about methods to like kind of um, re-enter, get back into touch with your body. And so embodiment, there's a lot of avenues for embodiment that you can kind of start to heal from those things and start to like reassociate yourself with your body again. And the one that's been really useful for me so far has been um, yoga and EMDR, um, just like learning how to breathe and learning how to listen to what my body is saying today and learning that that's a, that's a fluid state like state of being like it doesn't it changes 
And um, EMDR has been really, really good for like figuring out how to integrate mm-hmm. these things. Um, so if you guys have a, a if you if this is something you relate to and you have a chance to get with a practitioner mm-hmm. who knows how to do EMDR, it's really, really mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it totally. I mean, I really don't feel like it's an exaggeration for me because I know how it felt before and how it feels now. I really I, it saved my life. Absolutely. Yeah, I would I would agree. It's it's been a total game changer. Okay, so how do you Okay, so two questions. One is if you are a purity culture survivor and you have become aware that that impacted you in more ways than just repression. Um maybe you were assaulted, maybe you were complicit in something that um you didn't want to be um it doesn't have to be like strictly a rape. It can be a mm-hmm. lot of different layers um, of, of violence, sexual violence. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with be like realizing like, oh, I was like sexually harassed or I was sexually assaulted or like used as an object in ways that like really, really messed with me or really fucked with me. And and then on the flip side, if you coming out of purity culture and you didn't get taught about consent and you realize that you like enacted sexual abuse on someone Mm. and partly because you didn't have any any knowledge of what you were doing or what was normal or what was okay um how do you recover from Mm. that how do you come how do you make amends yeah um i think so to speak to that second part first um I have had a few male clients of mine kind of bring up situations where they're like, okay, I know more now. And the idea of this like encounter that occurred, like it's making me really uncomfortable and nervous or not nervous in that kind of way, but like, it makes me uncomfortable to think that, um, my, someone else's experience of me, like now I'm viewing it like in a different light now that I'm learning more about consent and I'm not entirely certain that I was, you know, holding the proper amount of space or the the right kind of space for someone to freely give like, you know, full consent. And so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of pain surrounding that too, because one of the things that stands out to me is like, that I, I, I'm realizing is a, is a uniquely difficult task in this moment, specifically for men who are survivors of purity culture, um, is that we, um, culturally right now and rightfully so have a very high standard for men to like know your shit about consent but unfortunately Mm -hmm. we've got these male survivors of purity culture who literally were brought up believing that like the right way to be a male the right way to be a human person was to not know anything about consent so they're like how where do i start now and i'll just and i'll just pause on that and say i have a a good friend who's he's in his 80s and he grew up in a totally different universe Mm -hmm. which is very similar to what um, the purity culture survivors are are experiencing. And so he and I will have lunch weekly and we talk about this stuff and we talk about the news and he'll, he'll come away being, he'll joke about being like, oh man, I'm so much more depressed about the world since I met you. And I'm like, yeah, well, all this stuff was just happen- still happening. You, you just didn't know because you're yeah. a white dude. Um, and he'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he, so like, he's dealing with the same stuff. So you have this like generational divide mm-hmm. that's like really similar to the, the, the purity culture divide too. Yep. Yeah. And so it's, a, that's a hard thing. Um, like these men that I'm working with that they're like, I want to do this the right way. Um, but there's this kind of like, and they're not complaining about this at all. I just notice it's a thing that they're carrying in their bodies where they're like, there's this pressure on me to already know, but I literally never learned. Um, and then yeah. similarly with women, there's this pressure on, on women to kind of like, And again, I'm glad that this is happening in this very unique cultural moment of like, you know, we're kind of allowed to own our rage a little bit more, but then women are kind of sitting with it and they're like, I don't even know what experiences, like, I don't even know where to, where and how to classify. Like what counts? What counts? Yes, exactly. Right. So for example, like, you know, I was realizing like most of my first whatever experiences with my first boyfriend were not consensual, Mm -hmm. but neither of us knew about consent. And I kind of just went with things being like, well, we did that last time. And like now I'm like tarnished in that way. So like, who cares? There's like, I'm already going to have to repent of that later. So might as well just keep mm-hmm. going. You know, that kind of mindset. Um, besides, it feels good. So, you know, you're like this, like <laughs> um, it's not consensual, but I'm turned on. Like, right. How do you deal with yeah. that? And then there's the layers of like, you know, I got I got 
raped when I was abroad and I didn't realize it mm. until like a month and a half later. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, that wasn't just bad sex. Yep. That was that was a violation. Yeah. And so like I and that's me being like super educated feminist person, like having like worked on this stuff for two and three mm-hmm. years. And then that happened. Right. So there's a whole lot of like room for I don't know how to classify mm-hmm. this stuff. I don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. There I- is Mm-hmm. this memory that is blocked that I haven't been able to access that I know is there and I don't know what's behind it and mm. I'm terrified because mm-hmm. I have vaginismus and a huge cause of that is rape or otherwise being violated and there are mm-hmm. memories that I just cannot access and my body and psyche is just putting up a lot of resistance to it and that is like the awareness of that has gotten stronger mm-hmm. this week and I'm just like I don't know how to deal with what I think might be there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, making sure that, well, first of all, being really, really gentle with yourself in that process is super important. I think, um, for a lot of us, like the moment that we become aware of something, we, we kind of like wish it was fixed yesterday. And like, for the most part, what our bodies actually really need from us is just like, and it's the most uncomfortable thing. Like I'm literally like clenching my hands, even talking about it because it's so uncomfortable, but like the most uncomfortable thing in the world that our bodies really desperately need from us is that like, you know, um, consistency commitment to self-compassion within that process of this is probably going to be uncomfortable for a little while, but I'm going to like body, I'm going to stay with you and we're going to keep talking about this. And it's, you know, I'm committed to understanding whatever it is that you have to tell me the moment that you're ready to tell me, but I'm not going to force you. It's funny, like even getting consent from our own bodies, like I'm not going to force you to tell me if you don't feel safe, but I also know I'm here for whenever you're ready to start speaking. And that's why like trauma therapy, EMDR with like someone that is trained and that you feel safe with is really helpful for that yeah that's some of the work i'm doing in emdr right now is like there's this like younger version of me who's just like super upset and clammed up and not going to talk to me until i like have to build trust with her so that she'll talk to me about what happened absolutely yep and that's something where our bodies they're not they're not pissed at us because they get it. Like they went through the same things that we went through, but at the same time, like that trust has to be built. Like we can't just expect that, oh, hey, I'm sitting here ready to talk to you now. And our body's like, wait a minute, you've been negating my existence for 20 fucking years. I'm not ready to talk to you yet. Like I have one client who, her her conversation with her body is like really, it's very conversational in her writing. It's like very back and forth. And she's been Mm -hmm. getting that. And it's been amazing, like fascinating to watch like her body, to her hearing the voice of her body, like slowly, kind of trust her with more information steadily because of that same posture, like the kind of originating posture, which was like, I, I'm not ready to talk to you yet. You can't, I need to know that you're safe enough that you're not going anywhere for a long enough time mm-hmm. before I'm ready to kind of start opening up with this stuff about you. And I think that's the value too of, um, storytelling as a healing modality. It's a big thing that I utilize in my coaching work. And so not just storytelling as a healing modality for the sake of ourselves and the relationship that we are in with our bodies, but then also a lot of times hearing someone else's or observing someone else's story once they're ready to share it can give us a whole lot of language of permission to really own what's happened with us. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something too that like just um, and not putting pressure on anybody to like be vulnerable to a level where they're not comfortable. I saw someone say something about that yet yesterday. That's an that's a, that's an area of consent yes. too. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You got to take really really good care of yourself first before again shoving your body out into this like you know display of being like I want to do good in the world. And it's like the best way for you to start doing good in the world is to be really really good to yourself and make sure that your body feels safe enough to start talking about these things with you first. And then if you feel good about that, then sharing it and possibly releasing that permission to other people too. Do you have anything else to add to our our conversation? I know you have to go in a minute here. Mm. Well, in terms of like concluding thoughts or like things you would recommend people read or um, how they can get in touch with you if they, if you want to, I know you said you, you, before you were kind of booked up for clients for the next year, but yeah. Or other other recommendations that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So book wise, places to start. Um, you actually literally already mentioned the two that I always mention, which is The Body Keeps the Score, if you want to learn about the way our bodies hold trauma, and then The Purity Myth by Jessica Valenti. Also, her memoir, Sex Object, is really great, too. It's just the kind of vignettes of stories. It's really great. Mm-hmm. She's just a phenomenal writer in general. Um, okay. Then I'll add to that one other um, in terms of like how men and women are both like emotionally really damaged by the patriarchy and not really capable of understanding what has happened Mm -hmm. to them and under and not understanding how love works 
um, is All About Love, New Visions by Bell Hooks. Oh, yeah. And I think, yeah. I think that that um, paired with the purity myth were like the two biggest mm. books that got me out of things and really helped me come come to terms with what had happened. Oh, that's good. So those are really good places to start for people to um, learn about this stuff. I will say that um, what is likely that might happen with a lot of people, which is exactly what happened with me, is I started studying this stuff and then I started getting extraordinarily triggered in my body. And so that's mm-hmm. the moment when I knew like, oh, this isn't just living up here in my brain. This is still living in my body. That's what ended up shaping my entire coaching work is recognizing that my body has her own memory of what happened. Um, so seeking out, um, uh, I know it's hard because I know for a lot of people it's really unaffordable and I really hate the inaccessibility of mental health services, but um, doing what we can to like seek out people who are not only trained in like trauma therapeutic techniques, but also like remember that like your therapist works for you, your coach works for you, your counselor works for you. Mm-hmm. Interview them about whether or not they have an understanding about the nuance of evangelical culture and purity culture itself, because um, if they don't, it might be hard. It might be double the work for you to try and kind of explain it and then, you know, work through it. But and this this just as an aside, this is why I'm doing EMDR rather than talk therapy mm-hmm. right now, because I'm not explaining yeah. to her anything. Yeah. And it trauma, the trauma encoded in my body is going to be the same for me as for anybody yeah. else who's a sexual assault survivor. So it's really easy for her to just jump on mm-hmm. in where I'm at with my body and work on the EMDR. I don't have to give her backstory or context. Or yeah, anything. super helpful. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and as far as I go, I am, um, pretty booked on clients at the moment through the end of the year, but I have a wait list, um, on my website. Um, my website's just jamieleefinch.com. It's currently kind of undergoing a bit of construction, but it's good enough for now. Um, and people <laughs> can sign up for that wait list. Um, not much is going to come to you like right away. I'm again, going to start working with someone about possibly just creating some like content, but um, but the pro- the main work that I do is in one-on-one client work. So that's kind of my primary focus. But um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, any of those things, Jamie Lee Finch on all of those. And um, like I said before, I'm just pretty much consistently mad and uh, screaming into the void. So it's so, entertaining. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's give the anger an outlet for a second. We've got four minutes yeah. left. Um, what do we have to say to dudes this week? Do fucking better. Oh, fucking shit. God. Oh, like the fact that I'm going to have some really hard conversations with some men in my life this week because like they have said nothing and that's, it's not, we're not doing this anymore. Like if you can get on the internet and post your dumb shit, like you always do anyway, but then pretend like you don't have fucking time to talk about this or pay attention or you just don't watch the news. Like, no. Absolutely not. I'm the personal is political. This stuff affects everything, and you are irresponsible if you're not paying yes, attention. One hundred percent. There's just like no. And I don't trust you no. if you're not paying attention. Yeah. You're an idiot. Also, you don't get to call me your friend. You don't get to like publicly yes. own a relationship with me or like tell people that we have a relationship with one another because that makes you account. This is my I'm leaning hard into my eight right now. Like that makes you accountable to something. So if you're not doing the work to actually care about this shit, I can't I can't own you as my friend either yep. because that, that sh- it just that feels slimy to me. And and this is not this is not us being vindictive. This is like normal, healthy boundaries after having had them violated for like thirty years yeah, of our lives. Yeah, 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 casual. So like, yep. shut up and stop complaining. Yeah. You have not lived our lives. And that's Do the thing the too. That when I was yelling about it the other day, I was just like, "You're not busier than this. We're fucking busy too." Like I don't want to hear yep. it. Like I just I don't want to hear it. And we're busy and we're traumatized and yeah. you're busy and you're not yeah. traumatized. Kieran, you and I have talked about this before. Guilt mm. versus oh action. God. Let's oh give them God. that rant again. You go. So we I'll always try. have people we always have people coming up to us and being like, We're so sorry for being complicit in your suffering. I feel really guilty now. I get it now. And we're like where were I don't you care. this whole fucking time? Do better. No. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear you guilt. Be guilty. I want to see you change. Yeah. It. Well, and like, like I'm. I'm glad that you're sorry, but don't don't send your sorry to me and act like I'm going to give you a hug and pat you on the back for it when you were the fucking adult in the situation. Why do I have to comfort you for hurting me again? Uh, don't be sorry. Be better. I there. I have a friend yep. who a teacher of hers used to say that uh, when she was in high school. Like whenever they that they would a student would come and be like I'm so sorry I did this. They're like. Uh, don't be sorry be better and it's that whole thing i've been saying that for a couple of years thing too <laughs> about like 
once you click into guilt, then now I'm fucking consoling you. So no, right. I don't want your guilt. Right. I don't want any of that. It's all performative. I don't fucking care. Don't make me do the emotional labor. No, don't double, give me your feelings. Just labor. do your fucking work. Just do it. Hold your own yeah. feelings. Yeah. I had to do emotional labor to come to terms with what happened to me. I don't want to have to do the emotional labor for you to come to terms with what happened yes. to me. Shut up. That's exactly right there. Just bottle that. Just bottle that. It's perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So, okay. So thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, this was wonderful. Um, your time is valuable and I appreciate it. Um, y'all, if you want to um, Venmo your favorite woman educator some coffee or your favorite non-dude educator some coffee this week, please do that mm-hmm. because we've been through hell. Yeah, a bit. Mm-hmm. And none of us are sleeping, Support so we the need the coffee. It's very important. Yep. I did have I did have a cis male friend Venmo me coffee money. Um, I woke up to it yesterday. You could se- like I would nice. be I would accept a case of wine mm-hmm. if somebody wanted to send me that. Like, wine money that would too. Be yeah, that's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. wine is also good. Yes. Beer is ruined. Beer no is canceled. No beer. No. <laughs> yeah. No. No beers. Fuck beers forever. Oh God. Wine I'm only drinking Thank tequila you. now. That's it. Yes. That's all. Amen. Yes. All right. Okay. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. The the rant five minutes was great. That was, that was necessary. I yesterday in therapy, I laid on my therapist floor for an, the full hour. I like came in and I was like, I can't do EMDR this week. We're gonna do breathing yoga stuff, and she was like, That's okay. And I was like, I'm taking off my shoes and I'm taking off my bra because I can't breathe if I have a bra on. And I'm gonna lay on the floor, <laughs> and I just like ended up crying for the entire hour. And that was really good. That's good. Yeah, I was in Boston this week, so I did not have therapy, and that was not great. So I have it Monday, and Monday okay, will good. be Monday will be good. I'm like, there's so much, there's so many things. Everything got stepped on this week, and I'm just like, this is fine. This is not fine. Well, I'm gonna conclude with the thing that got me crying so hard. Um, this is what my therapist said to me, and. It was really hard to hear and accept. Um, you're working really hard. We're both working really hard. Fuck. We're all working really hard. We are working really hard. And it's good work. And everyone who's here who's survived sexual assault, we're really glad you're here. You're working really hard. Thank you for being here. We see you and you matter. All right. Love you guys. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.